Heroes of the Internet. I'm Nathan. I'm G, also known as Jack. And I'm the ever so humble JR. And this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high flying and high kicking adventures. In this installment, we will be discussing Ultra Galaxy Legends side story Ultraman Zero versus Dark Clops Zero. Stage one, colliding spaces. Ray and Captain Huga of the Zeta Astronomical Pioneers, or ZAP, are transported through a wormhole to a strange planet, enjoying Ultraman Zero in his battle against robot doubles, Kaiju and Ultras, created by the alien Sloan to conquer the multiverse. <laughs> Hello, everybody. As you've undoubtedly heard, Travis is not here. He's still taking some time off, but I made sure that all of you would have some content this week, and I invited not one, but two wonderful guests with me here today, those being Jack and JR from the Drift Space Podcast. It is an honor to have you gentlemen here with me today. Hello. What's up? (laughs) and i did it partly because not only are you guys friends of mine but the two of you have actually been discussing a wee bit of ultra on the drift space or rather bonus episodes of the drift space yeah so we we've been working through ultraman g again and because we we wanted to do some bonus episodes and that's leading to something soon here (laughs) it's also it's also because dave wanted to take a break he's had kind of a long year and we're giving him the opportunity to sort of take some time off. And we we have three bonus episodes planned. I it, It's really terrible to call them bonus episodes because they're really not bonuses. That would mean that we're doing something in addition to. We're, we're still <laughs> releasing. <laughs> we're still releasing biweekly. And it's largely to make sure Dave has a little time to himself. But if he still doesn't want to come back just yet, I think, you know, we may do some regular episodes without him, just with a guest or something like that. So we have plans in place. Not a big deal, but we it is leading to an announcement of sorts. So. Ooh, I, I will say this. I'll just throw it out there. I am more than happy to return the favor <laughs> for the drift space. You've well, had me on before, so I'll just throw that out there. Well, Nathan, you know, you said you were you were upset that you weren't on the Star Trek episode covering your favorite <laughs> I, one. I was I'd being like sarcastic. To, I was being sarcastic. Was, well, you know, that being said, I'd like to point out how insulted I am <laughs> that you and Michael Hamilton did not bring me on for the Power Rangers episode. So, <laughs> well, that was because we were using that as a backdoor pilot for another podcast because I don't have enough podcasts, apparently. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think this calls us even, you know? <laughs> this is true. This is true. But anyway, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we are talking a little Ultraman Zero today. A little Ultraman Zero. And I wanted to 
get into some stuff that would be pretty one and done and relatively self-contained because we have to pause our Common Rider coverage until Travis gets back because I refuse to talk about Common Rider without Travis. So, <laughs> just to give everybody a little bit of background, this was a direct-to-video tie-in with The Revenge of Belial, or Belial, however you want to say it. Uh, went straight to video. It's a little. It's a nice little two-parter. I don't Belial. know if you would call this a... <laughs> I don't know if you would call this a movie, or I wanted to say... OVA, but that's more of an anime term. So I'm not sure exactly what to call it. <laughs> miniseries? Miniseries works. Yeah. I think miniseries works. And thank you for saying Belial. JR and I have absolutely managed to butcher every freaking name <laughs> on Jeed imaginable, almost on purpose at times, most of the time not on purpose. And Belial is one of the great blemishes on our on our <laughs> podcast. I, I no one can agree on how to say the uh, that character's name I, i'm just saying <laughs> well it's gotten to the point where like when we say belial we'll like hit each other now <laughs> you know it's like at the catholic schools they're like you do something wrong hit yourself with a ruler right. <laughs> correctly which is kind of funny because i work at a catholic university now so <laughs> So lots of rulers being hit on knuckles. Yeah, gotcha. No, it, it's bad. Like our last, our last Jeed episode, I, I went back, I, I, I grimace every, you know, minute or two at whatever character name we're saying. Like, like, uh, Leto Igigaru, oh shoot, no. Um, <laughs> You've brought I it mean, here. JR saying, JR singing Igigari. Igigari. It, I think it's, <laughs> so Ultraman Zero versus Dark Club Zero. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so for those who are un might be unfamiliar with Zero, he first appeared in Mega Monster Battle Ultra Word Salad the movie because that thing's title is ridiculous, long, and kind of generic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which, if you want to know more about that, I was on Kaiju Weekly, which is Travis's main podcast, to talk about it with Michael Hamilton, I think uh, a month or two ago. So you can go check that out if you want. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. That was Zero's first appearance. He is the son of Ultra 7, was trained by Ultraman Leo. And as far as I know, I think... Because Zero is one of those Ultras that never had a television show. He basically appeared in several specials and movies before another television show was produced by Supro. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think this is his second big appearance in the franchise. Uh, yeah, because when we were getting into uh, Jeed, when Jeed introduced me, I was like, okay, I love Zero. Tell me more. And he's like, well, you're going to have to watch the movies. Basically. Yeah, so uh, the so this is from Mill Creek's recently released, what do they call it, the Ultraman Zero Collection. And if you want to watch them in order, you would go Mega Monster Battle, which kind of requires that you watch Ultra Galaxy. Sorry. And then you would watch this, and then Revenge of Belial, which was the sequel to Mega Monster Battle. And then there's a second special called Killer the Beat Star, because we translate Japanese titles literally now. And then <laughs> Ultraman Saga, which was the third in this 
trilogy related to Mega Monster Battle, if I understand correctly. I believe that yes, is the proper also, order. Also directed by Hideki uh, Oka, who mm. directed the special. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he's he's dealt with Zero twice now in the same set. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Ultraman Zero... I actually have it written down in my notes, and I I have felt like this ever since I first saw Zero. I think it was in Mega Monster Battle was the first. Uh, so I saw him in his first appearance. He's such a punk, but I love him because he's such a punk. He reminds me of a shonen manga hero in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bit cocky, but not so much that you don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because JR and I have been plowing through Gide, and as we were watching it, JR said, man, this is so weird to see him as this punky little novice because we he had not seen Ultra Galaxy, the movie, mm-hmm. before we watched Dark Clop Zero here. And so we watched Dark Clop Zero, and he was, he was a little confused, and he was like, man, it's weird seeing Leo come in and, you know, say, remember your training and whatnot. So we actually went backwards for some context and watched the first story with Ultraman Zero in it, which was Ultra Galaxy, the movie. I think that clarified things for him a little bit, JR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, because you get more out of this if you know, because, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit. When Darklops shows up, he's wearing basically the same armor that Zero was wearing during his training. Well, on top of that, you know... Darklops has like the vision of Kaiser Bl- uh, Belial. And I was like, wait a minute, how is this possible? Because, you know, that's, we're going to harken back to our discussion with Jigid a lot. It seems almost impossible to have a villain as notorious as Belial without having Zero in the background somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That's for sure. But what's interesting about this is that it actually, and I've noticed this a lot of times with things like the movies or the specials, is this is where Subaraya is willing to break from the Ultraman formula because we don't really have a science team. It's off-world. It's really different. If you're used to the television shows, particularly the Showa stuff, this is really different. And I like it because it's different. And I honestly, as much as I love Ultraman... Supro does love its formulas. <laughs> and so uh, this it's nice to see them break away from it with this. You know, it's interesting you say that because I was actually... See, this is... Watching this was brand new to me. I had not seen this before. Oh, really? Yeah, no. And, and I'll, I'll explain. You know, uh, I had actually... My history with this special starts six or seven years ago when I had found a means to uh, <clears throat> watch the special. <laughs> and... In extrapolating it, I uh, had inadvertently uh, acquired uh, the Beatstar special instead that came later. And at which point I, I watched that instead and just never got around to watching the Dark Clops Zero show. So really, th- this was brand new to me. And I'm actually a lot happier I waited to watch it now that I, I've seen so much more Ultraman. And what I enjoyed the most about this is it was what I wished the Ultra Galaxy series could have been. Ah. You know, the Ultra Galaxy series had some wonderful ideas and concepts and characters, really very likable characters. Um, we get two of them in this. Yeah. The Ultra Galaxy series had great ideas, but it wasn't until the movie and the Dark Clop special 
which took the basic tenets from the series and reached its actual potential. The Dark Club Zero special is is a lot closer to what I wished Ultra Galaxy could have been. You know, imagine imagine if it had been more like Star Trek, where mm-hmm. the Pendragon goes to different planets or multiverses and and meets different species, all of which leads to kaiju confrontations. But you know, instead we we have both seasons that include the Pendragon stranded on a planet, both of which look identical. Look up barren and uninteresting and a lot of <laughs> mid 90s grade pbs green screen shots the characters have dropped in that you know it, it's quite maddening how boring and bland the show looked looked barely any depth of field no creativity in the lighting very you know the subjects and objects filling the shots were very bland basically all the visual beauty and experimentation that Subaraya pro has excelled at was non-existent in the show but but here it's much closer to what i i wish the series could have been this would have made for a fascinating two-parter in a series of similar quality Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. i agree with you and i i actually i haven't watched ultra galaxy yet other than the mega monster battle movie and i would be curious i my feel Sorry. a little bit disappointed with Ultra Galaxy having watched <laughs> this because this, the beginning, after we have the introduction with Zero where he seems like he's fighting the Ultra Brothers, so you, if you're an Ultraman fan, you're just thinking, what the heck is going on? You're a little bit confused, and then it cuts to Ray and Captain Huga, and it feels very Star Trek for the next probably 20 minutes or so. Uh, 15 20 minutes and i really like it you know as a star trek fan i just really enjoyed that part of it because it does feel like the beginning of a star trek episode where you just have two characters hanging out in their little ship they get sucked through a wormhole now they have to go handle a crisis on some unknown planet someplace that just happens to have a superhero on it (laughs) yeah it's it's really funny that when I watched this on my own for the first time and I was really confused, but I enjoyed it. And then I watched it with G and I, you know, I got some context. And then we went back and watched the previous movie, like he said. And I was like, oh man, this is awesome. This is great. And he goes, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. I go, so you mean? And he responds, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> I don't know about that. I yeah. liked Revenge of Belial, Belial, whatever you want to, however you want to say it. But. Well, it's more. I guess it's. I guess it would be uphill then, because quite, quite frankly, it's. It was season one and two that just didn't quite work. Great ideas, great concepts. Love the designs. They were boring. They were boring shows, mm-hmm. and it's really a shame that such great concepts were were wasted on that. But yeah, I totally agree. Revenge of Belial. Uh, oh, jeez. Revenge of Belial. <laughs> God. Revenge of Belial is, is I think, the best of the, the trilogy by far. Yeah, I haven't watched Ultraman Saga yet, so I'll let you know once I get around to that <laughs> what my opinion a is of that. Of, a lot of people don't like Ultraman Saga. I'm fine with it. I don't think it's anything, you know. It's not the best of the best in the Ultraman series, but certainly very far mm-hmm. from the worst. Mm-hmm. So, Now, you mentioned the, the green screen, and that was one of my complaints, actually, with Mega Monster Battle is as 
cool as the vistas, the you know science fiction com- pulp comic book landscapes that we were getting in Mega Monster Battle was, I also knew <laughs> it was very obviously green screened. And there's a lot of that in this special as well, which I guess was just par for the course for what Supro was doing because this was, this is what, 2010, I want to say? Mm-hmm. 2010, 2011? 11. Yeah. 11. So it was about par for the course for what Supro was doing at the time. Now, there's plenty of tr- what you would call traditional tokusatsu in this. I would make the argument, and there were people who would get into, you know, they would take me to task over this, but I do think that things like green screening and CGI and all that still qualify as tokusatsu because it's special effects. But the nice thing about what Supro and a lot of these superhero shows even to this day do is that they still have a lot of practical effects to, to along with the CGI. Uh, things like the green screening and the CGI seems to be in service to the practical effects in this case. It's meant to create things like outer space so you can have the characters flying around. But once we get to the planet, it's traditional tokusatsu through and through. I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot less green screen in this and in the series, quite frankly. The green screen in the series is absolutely morbid. So much so that there's... One of the things I loved about this special was the on-location yes. shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, we we actually get to see Ray and Hyunga walk around actual, you know, outdoors <laughs> vistas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the series, it was all green screen. They were just walking around these very clearly barren, brown, CG'd, you know, dirt paths and rocky terrain and stuff like that and it was painful it was absolutely painful. did it give you flashbacks uh, to beast wars <laughs> no because beast wars looked better than this but I... <laughs> oh, I had to throw uh, that in there <laughs> You know, this is coming from someone who loves Ultra Galaxy. I I, I really do. But the, the green screen stuff did get exhausting. So it was really nice to get back to the kind of on-location stuff, the more the physical sets and whatnot here. I think there was a good mixture of the two. You, you mentioned how digital effects and whatnot, some people argue that doesn't apply to tokusatsu. I think it does. I think it's all tokusatsu is about the way you use things. Yes. You know, not so much the technique, but but the way it's being used. And, mm-hmm. and they certainly apply. They just look better in some situations than others. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it felt great to finally, finally see Ray and Hyunga in, in an actual physical environment. Mm-hmm outdoors i i was i was kind of in shock by that and it looked beautiful <laughs> it looked beautiful it was great it really was yeah, I, I don't that think was, you understand <laughs> that's something that travis and i have actually been talking about with common uh, writer 1971 is that they had some really nice on location shooting that they did scenes where they went to you know these really nice just natural places in japan and filmed although that was more once you got past the first 
13 episodes or so of Comrade before that. So many quarries. <laughs> so it sounds like it's similar here, except they made the quarries in the computer. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the quarry, that's that's a toku or not tokusatsu, that's a Super Sentai stereotype right there. I mean, how oh, yeah. many of these were in quarries? Yeah, it's just low-budget sci-fi film and television trope, period. Just trust me, Doctor Who did it, and a lot of American science fiction shows did it. Well, you mentioned Common Rider. The Japanese Spider-Man actually had some beautiful locations in it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, that's a series I feel like a lot of people overlook, and... Mm-hmm shooting the locations i mean in one there's a fresh green forest with a vibrant waterfall i'm like holy crap yeah yeah now we've been talking a lot about the special effects the thing that's interesting about this is that it's considered a gaiden or side story and yes. normally when i think of side story i think that it's something that's probably disposable you know you can take it or leave it it doesn't really matter in the long run they actually give this some pretty big stakes, <laughs> I have to say. Yes. They basically I... say, in this so-called side story, the whole multiverse is at stake. <laughs> and they bring back an alien race from Ultra 7, I found out, doing a little mm. bit of digging. Because Alien Salome, they're from Ultra 7. Yeah, it really feels more like a movie. It does. Than than just a, a side story of sort. Now, do you lose anything skipping this and going straight to the Revenge of Belial? Hey, I did it. Uh, <laughs> no, you, you, you don't. You don't lose anything but except a really, you know, fun story with extraordinarily high stakes involved. And it's it's technically Zero's second adventure. Mm-hmm. Like, this was his second big mission. And it's like, wow, you, they give you all the big jobs. Don't they? <laughs> <laughs> it was... Well, at at this yeah. point, it wasn't Zero basically the de facto current "quote unquote" Ultra at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. there wasn't anything mm-hmm. on TV, so you know, and that's the th- funny thing about Zero. He appears in specials and movies, and then he just starts guest starring in everybody else's shows, <laughs> like Gene and Zero, not Zero, excuse me, uh, uh, Z, and just he just starts showing up in everybody else's stuff. Well, you know what? Some of these, I think. Ultraman certainly works for television, but some of these stories and some of these characters are getting way too big for the small screen alone. And I kind of like the idea that Ultraman Zero was something birthed of the big screen. Mm-hmm. And that, that's his home, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I think this story was probably more deserving of a, a wider release than an original video side story. That, that seems to discredit a lot of the work and high stakes put into this yeah for sure yeah and we don't i don't think we ever get her referred to by name but the other thing is is even though alien it's alien salome we actually have a real deal villain it's a woman which is an interesting change of pace and i found out that her name is herodias but Mm -hmm. i don't think they ever use her name and again salome and herodias going goes back to ag subaraya the creator of ultraman being Catholic, those are both biblical names. In fact, Salome and Herodias are related. Salome was the daughter of Herodias, and it was Salome danced for King Herod and 
he was so pleased that he said, I will give you anything up to half the kingdom. And her mother said, tell him you want the head of John the Baptist. <laughs> and that, so she did that, and that is how John the Baptist was executed. Yeah. So some interesting parallels, I think, that you could draw there. But again, like I said, Salome goes all the way back to the 60s. To the 60s? Oh, yeah. The, the aliens. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual alien. Yeah, yes. yeah. The Ultra 7 episode mm-hmm. where they were. And I can't think of another instance where that race. If I remember play, correctly sure from have. the Ultra Wiki, I think this is their second appearance. They hadn't been really? used, yeah, yeah, actually since Ultra 7. They have a really nice look in this. They all wear kind of these, these blue business suits and. They, they look really cool, and uh, Herodias has her little villain chair, and <laughs> it's great. Yeah, little, kind of a lounge, really. <laughs> yeah. And she loves to cackle. Oh, oh my God. gosh. <laughs> I thought the villain could have used a little more development. I think honestly. so as well. But at the same time, because so many tokusatsu villains... I mean, we we get such a clear indication of what they want and what their backstory is and why they want it. We definitely don't get the why here. But I do think her basic goal to conquer the multiverse keeps the story moving at such a brisk pace that I don't really mind this instance of mm-hmm. of cutting down on, on a villain's backstory. Mm-hmm. It's one of those cases where I find that if you're going to write a villain, you really want to write a villain in one of two ways. You either want to make your villain as just freakishly cool as possible, or you want to make them a more rounded kind of sympathetic character. So basically, to use another Toku-related example, you can either have Lord Zed or you can have Astronomer. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, because Lord Zed, just straight up crazy cool, great design, but he's basically a two-dimensional character who is just pure evil then you have astronomer who's actually a very well-rounded character with her own story arc oh yeah and and she kind of exists in a little bit of a gray area as time goes on and it's wonderful yeah and then you know with that with astronomer she goes on to become a ranger herself so her story gets even more in depth yeah but what i wanted to say is you know that's where I think this episode kind of or episodes kind of suffers for being broken up. I feel like the break in it was like kind of like, Oh, her, her character needs a break or something like that. There's not much to her, but if it were, if it were all just one long sit with no break in it, I feel like, like you guys were saying, this would be beautiful for a movie for, you know, go to the movie and watch this. Uh, villain doesn't really need much setup, but the break in it feels a little, eh, it, it just threw me off a little bit. I could understand that, especially, uh, although admittedly trying to give her more of a backstory might, unless you wanted to make this more feature length, it's packing a lot of stuff because in this first part, we get a lot of stuff. We get the reintroduction of zero, the reintroduction of Ray and Huga. Then we find out multiverse, which, as far as I know, this is the first time the multiverse has been a thing in Ultra. I could be wrong. I'm still exploring the Ultraman franchise. And then we have uh, we have to reintroduce Gomera. Then we find out, oh, you know, there are all of the Ultras that are actually robot doubles. And then we have Mecha Gomera. 
And then we introduce Dark Ops. There's so much stuff getting thrown at you in this first half. <laughs> well, I mean, if we were going to make that argument, let's examine the original Power Rangers movie that came out in 19, <laughs> what was it, 95? Yes. Where we're reintroduced to everybody and how their powers work. Oh, and they have Zords. And here are the bullies. I mean... <laughs> Let's make that argument. It's a lot. I'm just saying. It is a lot. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about I think what? I think I think this does a better job of that than the ninety-five Power Rangers. I would actually <laughs> have to agree I, with you there. <laughs> the thing is, you know, and again, this is coming from someone who adores Ultra Galaxy the movie. And I like Koichi Sakamoto, who directed it a whole lot too, but I think Hideki Oka has his number here. I know that may sound like heresy but this special is just tighter we have a more consistent and immediate understanding of who the main characters are whereas in the ultra galaxy movie we sort of jumped from mebius to ray to zero as main characters you know i'm i'm shocked the movie works as well as it does because it does bug me that zero ends up stealing the show from ray who in turn kind of felt like he stole it from mebius but here we have we have zero in the intro and then ray and hugo right after the opening you know the main players are established early mm-hmm. and we get into it with them right after yes they they introduce the multiverse and this new planet and the players and whatnot right after the fact but the pacing never feels so breakneck that i i i can't keep up with it oh totally but uh, let's talk about some of those players. So we get Mecha Gomera, because why not? If there's a Mecha Godzilla, we can have a Mecha Gomera. <laughs> there's, there's material out there even explaining that Mecha Gomera was specifically inspired by the 1974 Mecha Godzilla. I can and I'm tell. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, gee, really? <laughs> do, do, do we ever need this? You know, I, there was. The same was said of Dragon Caesar and Zhu Ranger. I'm like, oh no, what? I couldn't. Dr- Mecha got no, really, really, I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. So uh, what's funny is we actually we see part of Mecha Gomera before we actually see Mecha Gomera because in a what honestly is has to be one of the most surreal shots I, in this whole special. When Ray and Huga f- fly the Pendragon down to the planet, they're chased by a pair of giant metal hands. <laughs> and then we find out later that those giant metal hands belong to Mechagomera, who has big old chains attached to him, and he can fire them out and grab people and pull them to him scorpion style. You know, Get over here! <laughs> Yeah, this isn't the first time the Pendragon has been hunted down by giant man- metal hands, which, as I say that out loud, sounds really weird. <laughs> uh, uh, so, because Mechagomera has a hand cannon? <laughs> I regret nothing. JR, pack up, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the season one, it was chased down by pieces of King Joe Black. That would had could you know detach its arms and whatnot and hunt it down. So I was getting I was getting King Joe Black vibes from that. In fact, I thought it was King Joe Black again, but I was actually pleasantly surprised it was a a Mecha Gomera. Yeah, and can you make the argument that Mecha Gomera has a nipple cannon because he's got a, a giant laser cannon on the side of his chest, not in the center. It's off to the side for some reason. 
But he doesn't have one on the other side. He, he's a bit of an asymmetrical design. I don't quite get it. <laughs> See, I was going to praise the design for being asymmetrical, and then you said that. <laughs> it's, I'm just saying it's weird. I'm not saying it's bad. I just think it's weird. <laughs> it's a wonderful design. I am going to say it, it is a wonderful, yes. wonderful design. <laughs> yes. And and it was interesting that you know we have Cyber Gomera in Ultraman X, and they got away with a completely different looking kind of variation of the Mecha Gomera there. So we have Cyber Gomera, we have Mecha Gomera, we have what Burning Gomera, Super Gomera, I, it's just, Gomera, it's Gomera, Gomera. We need a meme. That meme that you know uh, of Woody and Buzz Lightyear, and it just says Gomera, Gomera everywhere. <laughs> it's just so odd to me that one of the original Ultraman's most difficult villains in the original series who who got his own two-parter is now one of the most popular and heroic monsters in in the Ultra series. It's just it's a strange shake up in the system. It is a little bit. Now let's talk about the other big villain in this, which would be Dark Clops Zero. And I mentioned before, we when we first see him, he looked he has the same armor as Zero had when he was training in Mega Monster Battle. Then he goes full tilt, evil robot double. And <laughs> you'll appreciate my analogies here. He I said he has a Cyclops visor and a Zaku eye. <laughs> 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 For those who don't know, Azaku is one of the mechs from the Gundam franchise. Because seriously, it with that big eye in the center of his visor, and it kind of moves around. It's like that's a freaking Zyko. I can't not see that. <laughs> I actually call him Zero Geigen. Zero Geigen. How did I not think of that? <laughs> no, I saw the visor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's Geigen. Wait, wait, you don't see that? <laughs> I can't believe Geigen I Zero. <laughs> I mean, Geigen looks like an ultra kaiju, so why not? <laughs> he does. This, yeah. He's right want, in that era. I want Geigen to fight an Ultraman now. <laughs> I don't care which Ultraman it is. I want him to fight an Ultraman. <laughs> Maybe it should be Zero and Zero can you can use its can he can use his eye slugger batleth to fight. Every time I see yeah, it, I, I, I made that connection too. Every time like, I see it, I think it's a batleth. <laughs> Nathan, you bring up all these these kind of mysteries being introduced and whatnot. You know what this is all also calling back to? Because like we've already made the conclusion that because the first thing that jumped out at me in in this special were more creative shots than we've had in a while, mm -hmm. and and I loved that early shot in in this with zero sitting on the edge of the cliff yes highlighted by the horizon sunset lightning flashing zero and the cliff are off center silhouetted but it also kind of goes back to ultra q mm. starting starting the episode with a mystery we have a ton of questions mm -hmm. going on here you know what why are who who are these ultra doppelgangers he's fighting why is he fighting them what is that building in the background and then all of that mystery gets put on the shoulders of the main Ultra Galaxy characters, Ray and Captain Yunga. Mm -hmm. They basically, in a lot of ways, kind of become surrogates for the audience because they're figuring it all out at a, the same time as the audience. They actually help to keep the story at least a little bit grounded. Exactly, and, and they they like you know I I love the fact that they're the main players established early, so we can follow them 
on this journey, right? I mean, there, there's a definite hero's journey going on in just this isolated story. And another funny thing is it didn't it didn't occur to me until the entire special had ended that we didn't even get the entire Zap cast in the special. Nope. And I, I don't want to say they weren't missed or anything, but the fact is that the story just didn't need them. No. This the the special is is tight, well told, concise, and it it did a great job of cutting down on anything extraneous. You know, we we didn't need the other cast members. And again, although the, the villain is a bit underdeveloped, her basic motivation and a brief moment of understanding in the next episode worked just well enough to keep things moving without question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so. with that, let's move on to the next part of the special. Stage two, Zero's final punch. Zero fights Ultra Brothers robots to escape an interdimensional nexus while Rey and Captain Hyunga raid the alien Salome's factory in a desperate effort to thwart their invasion of the multiverse of madness. <laughs> you're, 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 not, you're not going to edit that one out. <laughs> I have my marching orders. <laughs> Gee, gee, I like I, I like the way you said that. It reminds me of Futurama. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> now, I, I want to start this off by saying it's interesting, Jack, that you bring up that you <clears throat> acquired this through means several years ago. I actually realized, because this wasn't the first time I had seen this special, but the first time I actually did sit down and watch it, I realized, oh, I've seen part of this before. <laughs> This was playing yeah. on the internal channel during G-Fest one year. <laughs> and I just happened to tune in while it was on. Now, this is at a point where we start to get more direct ties to Revenge of Belial. I'll say Belial. <laughs> because this right. was made... <laughs> what? That's the right way to say it. <laughs> We're just morons. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this was made as a tie-in to the movie to promote it. So then, at this point, they're like, hey, we should actually tie it in. So we find out that Dark Lops is apparently being influenced by Kaiser Belial. Because we get a few glimpses of him. Now, he does not appear in actuality in the show. But we get a few glimpses of him. And then we start to develop a bit of a different theme in this, because I was paying attention to this. So we had some stuff in the first one you talked about, Hero's Journey and all of that. And we then it's in this one that we start getting into a little bit of this theme of the real versus the, you know, the unreal, I guess you could say, because we have robot doubles. We have doppelgangers from parallel universes and stuff like that. And then we also, in this one, also get a little bit of this theme of the machine defying its creators because Darklops, as much as we said that Herodias is underdeveloped, by the time we get about halfway through this part of the special, she has this actually kind of dark scene where she's dangling off of Darklops' finger and he basically tells her, you really thought someone like you could control me? <laughs> and she just lets herself drop to, we assume, her death. Now, she doesn't die instantly, but... Yeah. <laughs> and I got to admit, well, the first I, you know, time I I'm watched really this, I thought, wow, 
Joe, you went there. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because what I wrote down in my notes is Ultron. I mean, how many times have we seen this? And we definitely saw it in Avengers where you find something you don't understand and then you think you can control it. It brings a whole different meaning to the movie, which yeah. I really enjoyed that. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing we find out in this. The Salome did not create Darklops. They found Darklops. They created Mechagomera. They didn't make Darklops. So uh, it's just like you said, JR, they're dabbling in things that they should not be dabbling in. So it seems the implication is that Darklops was potentially created by Belial? Yeah, that's definitely what I was picking up on. Mm -hmm. And we know from Mega Monster Battle that you don't really want to mess with Belial. It's like trying to make a deal with the devil, I guess, in a way, except this is more like a minion of the devil, and you can expect to be screwed over. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. It, skipping ahead here, but it's kind of unfortunate that the Zap cast never figures out, never finds out what this was all about. Mm -hmm. Zero does, but but they're they're kind of left in this ominous state of what was this thing for, I guess, all eternity now. <laughs> yeah, but they also... <laughs> this was one of the things I have to knock this special for. I don't think they quite go there, but they kind of toy with the tired, tired was it all a dream trope? I mean, there's a reason people don't like it because it's so cheap. It's one of those yeah. tricks that you can't pull out very, you can't pull very often because you have to do it exceptionally well for it to be satisfying. That was a little out of left field. I don't think, I think obviously it did happen. And I don't think it's that prevalent of an issue that takes away from... Oh, I, I don't think so either. But still, anytime, it show, anytime that trope shows up, I'm just... My first reaction is, really, guys? <laughs> well, on top of that, you know, it's when the first, you know, the doubles of the Zap cast start disappearing, you're like, oh, we have some serious stakes here. You know, people... Mm -hmm. People can't exist. Doubles can't exist in this world. Yeah, this is, it, uh, and then as soon as they get back on the ship, they're like, "Oh, hey, by the way, we're not dead. Thanks for your help." <laughs> Basically, it's actually you know what actually kind of made me think of Jack. You'll appreciate this. It actually made me think of Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, except they actually follow through. <laughs> <laughs> because we're told that you can't have the same person existing at the same time in the timeline or else well, that person will disappear. And then they proceed to violate that concept later. And, but in this, they actually follow through with it because people start, the doubles start disappearing. Because <laughs> you can't have people from, the, sa from uh, the same person from two different dimensions existing in the same place for very long nobody tell marvel <laughs> it just depends on which universe that you're looking at <laughs> just wait marvel will screw this up at some point oh uh, they always on. do just wait for it <laughs> i have opinions but <laughs> but the other thing that uh, that that was kind of cool about this is that it allowed us to and i forget if the if it if he has an official name or not but we get the i called him hero ray in this 
mm-hmm. his uh, kind of like pseudo ultra form, we actually are able to have both human Ray and hero Ray at the same time, even though, yeah. you know, you know, because it's two people, it's the, it's the same, it's doppelgangers from another universe. So we're able to play with that. And the other thing that was really nice, because again, I haven't seen ultra galaxy yet. They actually give you a flashback. Cause there's like, do you have a scar? And then it's, it's like, no, you don't have a scar. And I'm like, what is, what's the significance of that? And they have a little flash, like, oh, thank you for explaining, show. I appreciate that. <laughs> right. I, I have to give props to this for being an isolated story that can help newcomers enjoy it, even if you haven't seen the Ultra Galaxy series or movie, for that matter. Mm-hmm. There's clearly a, a, a larger universe at play here, but I think it stands on its own pretty well and explains to the audience what needs to be explained just for this particular situation. I mean, JR, you you saw this pretty much cold. What did you think? Yeah, because the first time I saw it, I, you know, I did have some very big questions. Um, mainly, how are these aliens building superior versions of Ultraman that are made from a very powerful light source, but we'll get into that later. The backstory really helped and like the explanation really helped, but I'll tell you what helped even more is I really appreciated the throwbacks to the prior movie where like, you know, Ray is going all hangwire because of Belial and uh, boss punches them in the chest and it seems to calm them down. And then here in this movie, Hero Ray is going all crazy. And then yeah. taking the, Ray, uh, the Kylo Ren approach to consoles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then our Ray punches him in the chest and mirroring that image that we got in the previous movie. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish more media, to be honest, was like this, where it is able to strike that balance where it rewards longtime fans who have been following for a long time and know all the stuff that came before while also being newcomer friendly. That is very difficult to do. And I do feel like this special manages to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially to give an idea of where Ultraman zero is at this point in time. I, I, I love how, young zero feels in this yeah again uh, like, like before, a shonen manga hero right as i said before jr and i have been watching jeed ultraman jeed again where we see zero take on a mentor role and his mm-hmm. host is a family man it makes him feel seasoned and matured here we have ultraman leo coming in and reminding the audience how new zero is to all of this with lines like remember your training mm-hmm and, you know, most of the time I chalk this up to fan service, but I think Leo coming in to help really puts things in perspective. Zero is powerful, but he's still a novice. Mm-hmm. And I uh, Leo's inclusion really helped sell that. I, I would, I definitely agree with you. It was also nice to see Leo because I just started Ultraman Leo. So I, I'm seeing Leo in a later part of his story. And he was in... Mega Monster Battle, basically serving as the Obi-Wan Kenobi, I guess you could say, to Zero's Luke Skywalker. And, yeah, him showing up and reminding Zero of his place, but also telling him, it's like, hey, I taught you well. You need to live up to that training. 
and then they join forces and fight the robots. Now, you mentioned that you might normally see something like that as fan service. What about the ultra robots? Are they more fan service, or do do you think that they serve a greater purpose than just being fan service? Uh, you know, me personally, being a newcomer into the series, I honestly felt they, like they were fan service because I, I feel like Dark Clops was enough of a villain for him to stand on his own that the amount of replicas that the Ultra Brothers had, you know, you see that scene where there's literally thousands of them in the background just yeah. being ready to transport to other universes. I felt like that was just like, yeah, okay, these are history's most powerful Ultramen, but at the same time, you know, they're nothing compared to Dark Zero. So that's just my opinion, though. What about you, Jack? It's interesting because I mentioned that the whole episode starts as, or the prior episode starts as a mystery, right? And while we could call it fan service that we get to see these sort of evil versions of of our ultra heroes, I think more is, it, it's more that we see heroes that we're familiar with fighting Zero, who's an established hero, and they look a little off. I also think it was an excuse to give Zero and Leo foot, foot soldiers to fight against yes. uh, for cheap because they're basically they're just modified costumes of mm-hmm. the actual, you know, Ultraman, Ultraman Jack, mm-hmm. Ace, etc. So you could flirt with the fan service argument there, as Jr. says, but I, I do think it bestows some mystery into the situation. And it gave the producers kind of an easy, a cheaper way (laughs) to give Zero some foot soldiers to fight against before the final battle with Dark Club Zero. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, I do think it ties into the the theme of battling doppelgangers, the whole doppelganger thing, because you you have Mecha Gomera, Dark Clops, these evil robots. So I, I think it fits in thematically with everything else that they're doing. And yeah, like you said, it provides some nice foot soldiers because foot soldiers are not typically a thing that I've, at least in what I have seen of Ultra, that's not typically something that they do. It you, <laughs> They typically have a villain or monster of the week and that's who the Ultra fights. Uh, fighting foot soldiers is more of a Power Rangers and Kamen Rider thing. Like a Super Sentai thing. Right, yeah. right, exactly. I think in, in terms of foot soldiers, I guess I meant more of you know the the henchman role yes that you get out of you know antagonists and their minions Mm -hmm. essentially right so that that's kind of what i was going for there because they they could have very well created original looking robots to fight ultraman zero and zap but isn't it a lot cheaper to just repurpose the other Ultraman costumes? <laughs> Basically. And that was the thing, because I think this was getting perilously close to when Supra was dangerously close to going under. Because I know, what was it, Ging- not, what was their first big Ultra series that kind of said, was it Ginga? Ginga was kind of the big return. Yeah. And it was it was dirt cheap. Yeah. That's but what you know what, Ultra Galaxy was dirt cheap too. I mean, I know you haven't seen season one and two, but again... This is not, it's not a great looking yeah. series yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, effects wise, I felt that this second episode 
was weaker. Really? Because um, we yeah, had cra- we had some crazier vistas in this. We had a whole section that <laughs> did anyone else kind of laugh at Planet Cheney? Really? <laughs> That's not a loaded name. <laughs> well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't love the pocket dimension setting. Yeah. And what looked like digital paint sort of running down a wall or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'll give them this. They made use of the setting. Mm-hmm. The The fight itself was pretty fun. It's just a shame we had a digital setting. I was also a little disappointed when the action started ramping up inside the factory. Yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a sucker for interior tokusatsu battles. And between the green screen and lack of time spent inside of the factory, this didn't scratch that itch and i don't think there was any intention of doing much with an interior battle because gamora and mecha gamora bust out of there pretty quickly but you know it would have been cool had they had the budget for a traditionally built interior like ultraman the next or gamma 3 yeah uh, I, I at this point it might have not been in the cards i don't know no it definitely wasn't in the cards but uh, compare that to Okay, in the first episode, like I love the shot where Pyunga is running after Ray, but then he gets knocked away when Darklops shoves head, uh, Zero's head into the edge of a cliff that he was running on. Yeah, that was really yeah, we, cool, actually. It was cool. See, we, we these shots and close-ups on monsters and heroes in, in, in this special, we don't get that in the Ultra Galaxy series. And it really diversifies the staging and the sets and puts the characters... Uh, a little more central to the action, putting them in danger, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't get quite as much of that here in this episode, but we get a lot more of it in the prior one, which I, I really did enjoy. Yeah. Uh, in this one, it's in some ways, I feel like Ray and Huga kind of take a little bit more of a backseat to Zero, which is yeah, exactly. a little bit strange because this special is called Ultra Galaxy Legend. Side story. The second special is called Ultraman Zero Side Story. So the title makes it seem like that this is going to be more of an Ultra Galaxy story that just happens to have Ultraman Zero. But once you get to the second half, Zero kind of takes over. Well, fittingly, you know, this is sort of the passing of the baton at this point. This is the last of the Ultra Galaxy cast, really. And Zero takes sort of takes the mantle of this whole adventure in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Because we don't get them in Revenge of Belial. No. So it almost thematically it works in that we have more focus on the Zapcast in the first episode, and then we have more focus on Zero in the second. Even though I don't... Nathan, I, I, I don't know if I entirely agree with that, mainly because we get so much of Ray working with his multiverse counterpart and you know what the scar on his chest means to him and that is true searching for him let's just for the sake of the sake let's just say zero is more central to the second episode thematically that works Mm -hmm. as we as we hand off the adventure to him and the next movie Mm -hmm. yeah I, i i will give you that now let's talk a little bit about the ending after zero gets out of the pocket dimension and everything comes to a head. So we've got Gomora and Mecha Gomora going at it. We've got Ray and alternate Ray trying to help Gomora because Mecha Gomora is crazy powerful. 
Zero's taking care of Darklops and all that sort of stuff. How did you feel about the actual ending? Because you know, you know, I'm thinking specifically how they handled the death of alternate universe Ray because I thought he, it seemed a little convenient that he's just like, I absorbed all the memories when you were holding the Battleizer, and now I get it. And I'm just like, well, okay, that was easy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, the ending felt very rushed it for did. me. It did. It, like, it, it just it had all this stuff that it was building up and then it was like, Oh crap, we gotta, we gotta save it in the next five minutes. What do we do? Yes. So, <laughs> I, you know, it was, it was a little let down, especially, you know, it seemed like that speech from Leo just kind of gave zero just like deus ex machina power you know it's like <laughs> why couldn't you have done this before uh, you know? that, that ends up being a little bit of a theme with zero because zero at this point is a bit notorious for uh having a lot of bandai mandated alternate modes <laughs> nathan we are covering g that's like that's that's a mandatory okay that's bandai, I mean. <laughs> bandai mandates we have to talk about the bandai mandates <laughs> Uh, and how well everything call, you may as well just start calling them bandai mode i mean <laughs> <laughs> i mean everything in like the first two discs from zed is either deus ex machina or bandai mandate let's be honest <laughs> deuce ex <X> bandai <laughs> yeah I didn't mind the ending all that much, honestly. Maybe, and and this is a, probably a symptom of knowing where it goes, admittedly. But also, Japanese storylines and movies, they typically end pretty quickly. They do. I mean, it is. It's a. To, it's a facet of traditional Japanese storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah, they, where you have this kind of end. slow burn beginning, an explosive finale, and the world's fastest resolution. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, you go back to any of the Showa Godzilla films, and you, they don't spend any time sitting around once, you know, once the threat has been defeated. Nope. And here, you know, granted, Ultraman Zero, it didn't even occur to me that Zero just beats Darklop Zero. Like, there, he didn't get any special power-up or anything like that. He just beats him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when, and, the, when the second episode is called Zero's Final Punch... I, I don't know. Maybe this is the the anime fan in me looking at that. I was like, oh, so Zero's going to learn a new move, and that's how he wins. Not really. He just pulls out a big bang attack and then just hits him really hard. Well, that, that's Leo's move <laughs> yeah. was, was the punch. So, I mean, I think I, maybe he had learned that from Leo before, I would assume, and decided to use it. But that I think that's a throwback to Leo. Yeah. That would make sense. See, for me, Zero's final punch sounds very final. Like something might happen to Zero. But, you know, with this being a two-parter, you're like, oh, okay, final punch, it's over. But like a title like that, it's like, oh, something could happen to put Zero in danger. But Yeah, which I no. will say, the nice thing about it is that as cocky as and punkish as Zero is, it's not like he just gets all of his victories handed to him as cocky as he is. He still ends up kind of not kind of, he ends up having to earn his victories and he still gets surprised like, Oh crap, you're more powerful than I thought, you know? So, well, I mean, which I really know, appreciated. That, yeah. That's part of zero's character from what we've seen, you know, like we keep 
bring him back. You know, he's this novice here that just thinks that brute force will solve everything. And then later down the road, you see him actually recruiting Ultraman to help in his fight. And he's become a mentor, almost a father figure to Jeed. Mm-hmm. So it's it's part of his journey that you got to see happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go from a character who will, I'm going to save one of these for the awards at the end, but, you know, we'll say things to his opponent like, are you scared? Why are your blades trembling? You know, to taunt his opponent or in any kind of rubs <laughs> his, I guess he has a nose, you know, his uh, quote unquote nose like he's Bruce Lee I mean, <laughs> with his thumb, you know. <laughs> His face plate. His, yeah. His, so his, his I, lip plate. Yeah. But so, so like I said, he, he's definitely overconfident. I think a bit overconfident, but it's, he still has to earn his victories and he still gets caught off guard. So you still have the satisfaction of having a hero who, you know, it still has to, like I said, has to earn his victories, which I really appreciate. That's, mm-hmm. I fear it's becoming a little bit of a lost art in hero writing now yeah probably and i don't know if zero is always the best example of this because of everything that happens in the next movie but i i do like the transition (laughs) (laughs) this this supplies us with a transition between ultra galaxy and the next movie with his character you know he he needed that reminder from leo Mm -hmm. and it was interesting to see him still in that spot still in a place where he can't handle everything just yet. He doesn't have Ultraman Nexus powers just quite yet. He's got to he's got to he's got to earn these victories as you said. And and it does work for this narrative. Mhm. And but the funny thing is is that even when Zero thinks he's won, then Darklops is like, "You think you've won?" Mm-hmm. countdown thing is coming go see the movie oh, i'm gonna blow myself up and zero's like oh frick <laughs> and then everyone panics and they're like we gotta get out of here and then, <laughs> and then they're not even sure uh ray and Huga at the end they're, they're not even sure zero's alive but you know Huga's like ah oh, come on he's ultraman zero he'll be fine <laughs> yeah okay yeah, and that's a callback to season one as well. There was a similar conversation. Do you think Ultraman made it? He made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's and, fine. Yeah, and we, then, we uh, and then the, the last shot, which I actually really appreciated, is the Pendragon is flying away. You go back to base, and Zero is there, so we get the audience gets confirmation. Yeah, Zero is fine, and he gives a little salute to those guys, and goes about his way. I think you're all forgetting that when the explosion is coming out and they're trying to escape the planet and zero sees that the pin dragon won't make it. And he literally picks it up and goes, must go faster, must go faster. <laughs> Basically. So, so apparently ultras can fly faster than spaceships and that ship I'm it already has FTL engines. This is why ultras <laughs> don't have spaceships. <laughs> Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment too. <laughs> you know, where he's cradling them. It's also I'm also think he's probably trying to shield them a bit from the explosion as well. <laughs> I think I think he's just channeling his inner Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> wow, wow. Oh, and with that, we will move on to the awards. <laughs> <laughs> 
so first up, we have the Henshin Kick Award for the best stunt and or fight scene. And since you guys are the guests this week, I'll let you go first. What did you have for the Henshin Kick? Okay, so the best fight scene is definitely the first confrontation between Zero and Darklops. But the best stunt or move actually took place when Zero and Leo were fighting the Seven and Ultraman doppelgangers. Mm. There's this one really cool move where Zero almost, it's hard to explain, he, he borderline cartwheels or handstands on one hand and his back leg comes over and, and kicks Robo Ultraman in the, the head. And I know there, there's a lot more effect savvy moves to be enamored at, but I really enjoyed the, the acrobatics in this it, shot. Well, that was cool. <laughs> and rewind, rewind that to let the physics sort of sink in. It was... <laughs> <laughs> it was it was cool. All right. Uh, what about you, JR? So I can only actually say one of these until the end because they all are the same moment. And really? I've tried. I've tried. I've I watched this movie twice and I can't say my favorite moments. The only one I can actually say right now is the uh, best effect. So I'll hold off. Okay. But okay. just to let you know, I tried so hard to pick anything else other than this okay. moment. Okay. Well, my candidate for the henshin kick, since apparently JR has the same thing for three of them, is the DBC style bicycle kick. <laughs> Zero does too. I think it's Darklops. Yeah, it's Darklops where he knocks him into orbit. It was just insane. There is so much DBZ in Yeah, this Zero. was in the first episode, right? <laughs> yeah, it was in the first one. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bef <laughs> right, right before we find out that Dark Club Zero has the dimension tied in his chest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> For those who don't know, Godzilla versus Megaguirus. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now for Takatoku, the best special effect. All right, JR, what did you have for this? Since this is a separate award for you. Okay, so this best special effect, I love when you brought it up earlier where the alien is hanging off of Zero's uh, finger. Yeah, Darklops. Right, yeah, Darklops. On his pinky, finger. no less. Yeah, on his pinky. I love the way that's set up. I love like the actual prop that they have to use for his finger and that she's actually physically you know, dangling off of it mm -hmm. with the projection of Darklops in the background making you feel like you're actually there and you're actually seeing this happen mm -hmm. i love that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i it's it really does help to it's not just there to be cool it's actually accentuating the uh, the story at that point where he's like you really think someone like you can right. control me you know that yeah. sort of a thing it's like, like it, i said it is a it's kind of a scary scene to be honest yeah like it, i said ultron it is ultron yeah all right, Jack, what did you have? This was the hardest one for me. Oh. And it, it, it's always the hard, hardest one, especially when we talk about tokusatsu, because it, tokusatsu is such a beautiful style mm -hmm. because simple shots are effects shots, right? You know? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not always a special effects technique put in play. Sometimes it's just as simple as the framing of subjects and objects and specific mm -hmm. lighting through miniature and costumes. And I find it so fun that on Facebook and Twitter and then forums and whatever, we're seeing more and more people enamored by the shots in the upcoming Batman movie. 
Yeah. Right. Because they're, they're very basic photography that we, that we should be enamored by in any film, but often it gets cluttered with too much green screen or too many subjects with no depth of field, basically Marvel's photography. Yeah. And you know, every 12 days, someone has to post the same five shots from the 2019 legendary Godzilla with the caption, this movie is so beautiful. And of <laughs> course it includes, it includes the same only decent five shots in the movie every time with, you know, I'm sitting here going, Oh look, Ghidorah on a volcano. Didn't notice that before. And, and it frustrates me, you know, because all of it is, is CG, mm-hmm. you know, the volcano, the lighting, the subject, the sky, it's all created digitally to give the illusion that something was photographed. Mm-hmm. And when people post those shots or shots like them, you know, talking about the Lion King, the live action Lion King, are we really talking about photography or animation? Mm. Right. And, and not to slight animation or the framing involving it, but look at the more practical shots in Dark Clop Zero. We have sets that were created and moved around to compose a shot. We, we have actual subjects giving off light and shadow. Lights are actually there being moved and flagged and manipulated to actually photograph something physically there. Mm-hmm. So, and I know this is a long way, but so as, as often as I see praise of animated Ghidorah squatting on animated volcano, I would like to propose more photography like the long shot of Zero and Darklops right before Zero nails him with the Big Bang Punch. Mm. It's this gorgeously composed moment with lots of foreground objects, mostly rocks and hills, mm-hmm. giving the illusion that subjects are farther away than they are, which is further helped by the fact that the subjects are actually positioned higher in the frame than mm. you would normally put a subject. Mm. And, and this also makes it more difficult to sneak background objects in because you don't want them to be too high to obscure mm. your subjects. But they, they make it work as, as well with, with the golden hour look. And, and something we could argue is maybe overused in tokusatsu is, is the golden hour look mm-hmm. you know the sunset and everything but with one side of the frame looking more orange than the other i think it's justified it's a simple shot granted but you know a still still a very thoughtful and gorgeous shot and i would rather see that screenshot plastered across the fandom every 12 days <laughs> it's really really pretty mm-hmm. and i i enjoyed i enjoyed the sort of we talk about the cg vistas in the prior movie mm-hmm. this this was what I was looking for mm-hmm. when when I watch these types of movies. Mm-hmm. My award for this category is actually along similar lines. We talked about it, but I'll bring it up again just to reiterate a few things. And it's almost more an award for the cinematography than anything else, but it is that opening shot mm-hmm. of Zero oh. uh, uh, on oh. the cliff. That was so good when I watched it for this recording i thought to myself i need to get a screenshot of this and make it my profile picture because it it's just i just it's, it's i love a, the shot it's just so good it's such a beautiful shot yeah no i i definitely want to have that sprawled over all over my computer as my desktop yeah like a desktop wallpaper or something i need to have that it's just such a well crafted shot that 
honestly, in a lot of ways, I think shows a side of zero that you might not necessarily think he has because he looks more thoughtful. He looks a bit upset, even, uh, when you're normally used to him being this basically overconfident young punk. And we don't see quite that side of zero for the rest of the special, but it was still just a great way to open up, I thought. I saw that shot, and the first thing that came to my mind is that line from Family Guy. I must draw you. (laughs) 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 Why am I thinking of Titanic right now? Draw me like your French Ultraman. (laughs) Because that's what the line is talking about. (laughs) He sees somebody walking down the street, and he goes, I must draw you. The next scene is him on the Titanic. Well, there's a meme that I should try to make. I should screenshot that and then put Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> drawing. <laughs> it's the next frame. Draw me like your French Ultraman. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> that was going to be my second shot, though. That that it, it opens with that, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's actually the second or third shot we see in the whole thing. And mm-hmm. it opens with that. I'm like, wow. It It is incredibly cinematic. Wow. You, because... you, you, you start that and you think you're in a movie and not just some direct-to-video two-part special that's meant to be a tie-in for an actual movie. That looks so incredibly cinematic. Precisely. Thank you. Exactly. And and don't expect the TV show to look anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And now we come to coming at you for the best line. All right. So, Jack, what do you have? We uh, there's a couple of them that I considered, but you know, what did you have? All right. So this line it really ties in to what I feel are the best themes of this show. The line is, "Don't be conceited." To think that people like you who cling to their fleeting lives could ever try to control me. And that was Dark Clops to Mm -hmm. Herodias. Poetically said to her, as she is literally clinging to her life by dangling from his finger, there's a lot here. I think that Alien Salome and Herodias are pretty underdeveloped, but there was enough in this moment to allow the special to get away with it. Part of it goes back to stories like Terminator or mm-hmm. Matrix and the idea of the ambition of controlling technology will undo us. And I could I could get into stuff like the great filter theory, which goes into our evolutionary process leading into the destruction of our own devices mm-hmm. by our own devices. I'm very conscious of it. But I think more importantly is the contrast of control versus letting go. Mm-hmm. Because the Salome, the Salome wanted to control technology they didn't fully understand, like JR said. Mm-hmm. They, they were clinging to lives based on control. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ray, alternatively, explained to his multiverse counterpart that the Ray blood doesn't control him anymore. He, he's let go of that rage. He's allowed the love of others to fill where that rage was. Mm-hmm. And... Ultraman is this. It's an excellent redemptive theme that admittedly could come off as a weak sentimental moment. And I even made a joke of that when I when we were watching it. But but it does highlight the best themes of the Ultraman mm-hmm. franchise. So anyway, I, I believe that line best brings to the surface all these 
these themes as a point of contrast. Mm -hmm. And I, it actually occurred to me while you were talking about that, that another way you could look at this, especially with how it's framed with this gigantic dark clops and this little, not human, but this little humanoid dangling from his pinky, his smallest finger for yeah. dear life. Yeah. And he's delivering that line. It's like, it's almost like a God speaking to a mortal saying, you thought you could control me, me. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot in, in that line with that image. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So do we need to move on? Uh, you, well, you need a second JR. So I was just going to say after that, you know, profound thing, my line seems very stupid now. Well, the one that I had is because typically when I'm looking for a line for this award, I either want something profound, funny, or BA. And I went with BA this time, but I considered that one, Jack, just to let you know. But I went with, and it's not Zero's first entrance, but it's when he shows up to the first time to fight Darklops. And it's a very shonen anime sort of thing. So he shows up, he does a three-point superhero landing because those are always awesome. And he says, if you want to fight, fight me. <laughs> I just love it. Like I said, totally BA. <laughs> All right, and now we move on to what is quite possibly my favorite award out of the bunch, WTH, what the henshin, for the craziest moment. So let's save JR for last because he's been waiting this whole time. So, Jack, what do you have for the WTH award? All right, so the craziest moment is easily, for me, when Robo Ace is swinging the giant rock platform with zero on it. <laughs> <laughs> grabs the meteor it, <laughs> just the blows it out of the sky yeah i did not care like i said i didn't care too much for the weird pocket universe battle like it, it as, as a setting i felt the green screen was lacking especially compared to how it looked in the ultra galaxy movie but they at least made the most of it and took advantage of the digital effects with things they can't normally do on mm -hmm. traditional sets and Spinning around a giant platform rock a good 200 times the size of A certainly qualifies. Yes. <laughs> that one, I thought about that one. I really did think about that one. But that is, that's something you would think you would probably only be able to actually see in a comic book. That's just that's an absolutely insane feat. Exactly. exactly. Such an insane feat. And as much as we might want to say, okay, you're overdoing it with the green screen and all that, it did allow them to do things like that that they would not have been able to do. <laughs> with Precisely. traditional tokusatsu that would just be a little beyond the pale so mine along similar lines i mentioned the first zero entrance to fight darklops my wth award is for his second one where he literally shatters the sky like glass and does what looks suspiciously like a rider kick flying through and nails Darklops <laughs> to basically like, I'm back, baby. <laughs> Nathan, have you have you seen Ultraman Ace? Yes, and it's insane. Okay. It's, the same. it's like the aliens in that one. They keep shattering the sky. Yeah, the Yapool. To make their appearance, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ultraman Ace is a fever dream on acid. I, I've concluded yeah. that Ooh. 70s Ultra period is kind of nutty, but each one is a different brand of nutty. 
<laughs> yeah, Ace is wild, man. I oh. <laughs> That's for sure. All right. Speaking of wild, JR. All right. You got three awards you got to tell us about. WTH, Talking Toku, and Henshin Kick. And apparently it's all the same thing. What is it? <laughs> no, okay, wait, no, no, so no, 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 no. Excuse me. No, it's WTH, not Talking Toku. Stunt. Uh, stu- yeah, uh, Henshin Kick and uh, Kamenacha. So it's all the same thing. Kamenacha. What is it? So it's the second fight with, between Zero and Dark Lips, or Dark Ops. And Darklops is shooting his beam at him and he completely misses it. He thinks he's got him and he just starts laughing. And the next thing you know is Zero is doing a handstand on his head, says, <laughs> what's the point if you can't hit me? And does a backflip off his head and kicks him in the back. <laughs> Are you kidding me? WTH <laughs> That was very DBC for me. Let's be honest, the majority of this movie was DBC. It I mean, was very DBC. You you talk about the kick up into outer space. G talks about these the rock being thrown around like it was nothing. Let's talk about how they're fighting so fast outside of Earth's atmosphere that they're just beams of light bouncing off of each other. (laughs) I can't see them. They're moving so fast. (laughs) Unfortunately, the only decent meme-tastic DBZ line I know is the one everybody knows is power level. It's over 9,000. But (laughs) I only know enough about DBZ to be dangerous. (laughs) It's a rabbit hole, trust me. Oh, I know it is. I know it is. But that was an excellent choice, JR. It's so funny that one scene encompassed 75% of the awards for you. I kind of I, it. I just I, I watched that and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And with that, we will move on to Minute to Henshin It. And now suddenly that sound effect is more appropriate. All right, so who wants to go first for this? I mean, this was inspired by Fanboy Fifty on your guys' show, so yes, yeah, yeah, I feel some copyright going on here. <laughs> well, we might have been inspired about some other things with this show as well. But like I said, who wants to go first? I have the timer at the ready. JR is giving me the signal to go here. I guess I will take over for this one. All right. On your mark, get set, go. So Ultraman Zero versus Darklop Zero uh, isn't anything transcendent, but it achieves it achieves gold status by successfully executing everything it wanted to do. It is one of the best Ultra Galaxy stories, if not the best. It's It's tight, it's exciting, and it gets back to some more effects-driven basics while still mixing the digital aspect in there when practical effects just can't, you know, bring a situation to life. Could the villain have been better developed? Sure. Uh, Do the digital effects always work? No. But it's a massive improvement over the actual show with just enough thematic meat to remind us of the wonderful part Grace plays in this this excellent franchise. Uh, Definitely uh, Hideki uh, Oka's best Ultraman, and I can't believe I waited this long to watch it. Wow, you finished with 
almost 10 seconds left to go. It's like you've done this a lot. Oh my gosh, 50 seconds. What? What? It's almost like it's a fanboy 50. Yeah. Speaking of which, JR, it's your turn. Ready, set, go. As a, I, I still consider myself a newcomer to Ultraman, but, and I am working my way backwards through the series. I find this movie actually very enjoyable. Did I have questions about who's who and what's going on? Yes. Did I? Yeah. It still made it in a pleasant, enjoyable movie. And I, you know, if anybody is out there who needs uh, a recommendation, I would be happy to recommend this movie, even to a newcomer, according to G that, you know, Ultra Galaxy is not the greatest thing, but I would argue this is probably one of the better things to come out of it from what I've been told. So, uh, you know, no complaints from me. Wow, you did even better than Jack. You had for like 13 seconds left to go. Again, it's like you've done this before. Practice makes perfect, my friend. Like Leo said, remember your trading. <laughs> <laughs> all right and my turn ready set go so watching this again this was the second time i had seen it and i was reminded that this this weirdly enough even though it's just meant to be a side story this really does show what i think the ultra franchise can be at its best People put far more effort into this than I think most probably would. Like I said, the from the opening shot all the way out, it is weirdly cinematic. In fact, it's more cinematic than I think some actual movies, <laughs> which should tell you something. And it's self-contained enough that I think you could watch it, as we showed here, with little to no knowledge of the Ultra franchise, and you would still get a lot out of it wow i pulled a fanboy 50 there too <laughs> you did you really did we're all uh, we're on. gonna have to start banking these <laughs> i'm taking a bow sort of my mic is still kind of in the way so <laughs> all righty and with that thank you for listening to the henshin men a tokusatsu appreciation podcast you can find links to all our social media in the description of this episode you can listen to more of travis my normal co-host on the kaiju weekly podcast and listen to more of me on my main podcast the monster island film vault and also make sure you listen to jack and jr on the drift space if you found some enjoyment from this podcast, consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. And now I've just discovered you can now also rate podcasts on Spotify. So do it there too. Until next time, what are we going to say, JR? Next week, Ultraman Zero battles the most powerful kaiju in the universe. Henshin Fang Foom.